Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. You're listening to week 34 of Is It Worth It? The film review podcast where we go out of our way to see the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. His name is David Long. And he is Craig Fields. And good Lord, it is an action-packed show this week with everything from treasure hunts to books coming to life. There's definitely some surprises on this week's show, that's for sure. Uh, David, how's your week been? Very, very good. The weather has been glorious. We're we're back in the studio. It's much cooler in the studio. it's far it's cooler looking at the thermostat it's what 24 25 degrees a nice recording temperature as opposed to last week where it was mid 30s and i actually had to remove items of clothing because <laughs> it was really quite hot i had a fantastic week loved watching the cricket last weekend england beat australia to make it 1-1 in the ashes series ben stokes made over 100 not out in what was one of the greatest run chases in cricket history i know you're not a sports fan but for anyone who likes their cricket um looked like the ashes were dead and buried and gone england were going to be two nil down it was going to be game over but ben stokes what a performance and yeah the weather looks set good for the next couple of weeks so i'm looking forward to the last two test matches at old trafford and the oval you do like your sport don't you i do like my cricket my football my horse racing i like everything the only sport i can't get into although there's some really good films actually on this sport is formula one Um, I just don't understand Formula One. It seems to me that the best car wins and and it's and and it's as simple as that and i know because all of the drivers are at the top of their game they're sensational but most most years it seems that the 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 car firms with the most money seem to win now i may be talking rubbish but um (laughs) yeah formula one not for me however i would like to go to silverstone because i've heard that it is nonetheless a fantastic day out Maybe we should go together. Yeah, I mean... Maybe we should record the podcast there, Trackside. Can you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not so sure we'll be able to get away with doing that. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It's probably probably not the best of ideas. Anyway, Mr. Fields. Yes? I I never asked you this, so (laughs) you've made me aware. How are you, my good friend? Yeah, I'm very well, actually. Uh, Bags of energy... Uh, so much so that I've signed myself up for a charity football game. I've heard about this. Is it tickets? Do you have? To, if, can you pay to come and watch? Can I come and watch you play football? I mean, it, uh, I mean, I'm a Sunderland fan, so I'm used to seeing terrible, terrible football. Well, so you can't be much worse than than my my beloved Sunderland. I think I probably could. I'm not a professional footballer, number one, and, and number two, <laughs> I have no stamina whatsoever. Well, let's get you in the gym now that you are Iron Man. True, yes, I had an iron infusion, which was quite... A lot of iron has been pumped into this yeah, man. And now he I went am in his Craig and he did come out as Iron Man, covered in steel and with a genetically modified heart. Like Idris Elba? Yes, Idris Elba from last week. <laughs> so, it's, I'm glad, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's a, got a bit of a sporty theme, but 
Craig, what have we got coming up on this week's show? Well, I shall tell you. We will be kicking off with Angel Has Fallen. Gerard Butler is back and he's about to be at the centre of another crazy situation with his co-star Morgan Freeman. Then we'll be opening the book to scary stories to tell in the dark. Andre Overdale directs Zoe Margaret Coletti, Michael Garza, Gabrielle Rush and Austin Zodja. The real adventure then begins when we delve into the review of Dora the Lost City of Gold, directed by James Bobbin, starring Isabella Mona, Jeff Wahlberg, Michael Penner, Eva Longoria, and featuring the voice of Benicio Del Toro. Then we're off to the US of A, where a Class 5 hurricane, a basement, and some alligators cause mm. some rather large amounts of chaos in Cruel. This is produced by Sam Rainey, directed by Alexandra Ajar, starring Kaya Scodelario and Barry Pepper. And then we'll be rounding off the show with a review of Good Boys. Seth Rogen and co. are back producing with director Gene Stupinski, who directs Jacob Tremblay, Keith L. Williams and Brady Noon. It's a great number of films that we're going to review on this week's episode. I just noticed your your notes uh, yes. that you've handwritten. They're all a rather <laughs> eclectic um, I mean, sort of I, pieces of paper on the I, back of them. Yes, so I've, I, I, unfortunately I've run out of plain documents. So I've, I've just... Collected some papers from my house. We've got a council tax support detail. <laughs> we have notes here on the back of what appears to be some sort of court summons. <laughs> what? Um, and then the, the notes for Dora and the Lost City of Gold are, ma- are made on the back of a letter from Affinity Water, who are demanding money from me. <laughs> and and the final one is a handout called Distress Tolerance. Uh, so this it's just a load of court summons, people demanding money, and then a a, a guide of how to distress yourself. Very um, sporadic set of note making you need uh, to get yourself a pad I, I i i did have a notepad and pen but i lost it you lost it yeah did, did actually... i yeah did i ever tell you i had my own lost property box at school no which i then proceeded to lose you, at... you lost a lost property box i did yeah they gave me all my lost uh, things back the at the end of the year which i lost so much um, irony there that, well there's a lot of iron and irony in today's show <laughs> anyway let's kick off in our usual way with the box office rundown This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It, the Film Review Podcast. Yes, that's right. It's the Box Office Rundown for the weekend of August the 23rd to the 25th, 2019. David, kick us off at number 10, please. At number 10, it's the same as last week. Casino Royale is still in the top 10. Like we said last week, won't say too much. Um, One of my favourite ever Bond films, Daniel Craig, is brilliant. If you haven't seen Casino Royale, I really do recommend it. If you didn't listen to last week's shows, the reason it's back in the box office, they're doing a special screening. You pay a bit of extra money, you go along, you dress up. There's various other things. Yeah, it's the secret cinema is what uh, presents casino royale essentially yeah so if you haven't seen casino royale definitely check it out it's it's still a brilliant film and one of my favorite bond films 
In at number nine, we have Good Boys, and we're going to be reviewing this on this week's episode. Uh, so we won't say too much at all. No, we won't. In at number eight is Toy Story 4. Like we said last week, it's uh, it's a very good film. I don't think it's as good as the previous three. Uh, and, and to me, it, it doesn't end the way that I want Toy Story to end. So therefore, I feel like there's going to be a Toy Story 5. And if there is, I think they've set it up for a really exciting finish, which I've already almost written it in my own head, which I might share with you guys <laughs> at some point. Um, but yeah, Toy Story 4 in at number eight. In at number seven, we have Cruel, another film that we're going to be reviewing on this week's episode. And uh, again, we won't say too much because it's on this week's episode. Ah, number six, Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Well, guess what? We're also reviewing that on this week's show. Therefore, stick around and we will let you know whether it is worth it or not. In at number five, we have Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And again, this is on this week's episode. So again, <laughs> we won't say coming here. too much. Uh, indeed, in at number four, we have Fast and Furi- Fu- Furious. Fast and Furious <laughs> presents Hobbs and Shaw. Um, like we said last week, there wasn't many cars in this film. It, it felt almost like a bit of a side piece, which is sort of what it was. Um, you don't actually have to have seen the previous nine Fast and Furious films. I think it's eight or nine, isn't it? Uh, previous eight. This is the ninth. Okay, yeah. Film, you don't yeah. actually have to have seen those to 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 be able to watch this. It. It was a popcorn movie. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was was brilliant. Jason Statham was Jason Statham. I don't think he's actually great. Um, I think he plays the same character in every film, and it works in some films and it doesn't work in others. But nonetheless, it was relatively enjoyable, and I think we both said it was actually worth seeing in the cinema. Yes, uh, I have to mention Vanessa Kirby was excellent in there, and Idris Elba was actually pretty good. So a it genetically have... modified Idris Elba. Yeah, I think it was a, a pretty decent film. As you said, popcorn and you know, chill out, entertaining kind of film. Uh, in at number three, we have The Lion King. Uh, we reviewed this on week 33, which was last week, and uh, we were somewhat relatively disappointed with some as- aspects of the film, but we thought visually mm, it was visually a, sensational. a sensational uh, piece of, of cinema. Uh, and we both said that it was worth seeing in the cinema, definitely. Above that at number two, and I'm slightly surprised it's not at number one, but at the same time I can see potentially why it wouldn't be. It is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. We both really enjoyed this film, um, but on reflection there is definitely a problem with pace. The more people that see this film, the more people come to me and say, David, two hours of this film was painfully, painfully slow. Um again i think they're slightly missing the point like i said this took me right into 1969 hollywood i felt like i was there i got to really know both dicaprio and pitt's characters um i really enjoyed this film i really want to see it again i'm actually going to see it again with my brother who's currently he lives in manchester he's currently down at the moment so we're going to go and see it together probably in imax um so it look of all the films that are currently in the box office, if you have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, please do email us, tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us, however you want to get in contact with us. Let us know what you thought of this film because we would love to hear your thoughts. In at number one then is Angel Has Fallen. And again, this is a film that we're going to review on this week's episode. So again, we won't say too much, but uh, unexpectedly it's at number one, I I'm, think. I'm, without giving too much away, I'm surprised that this is at number one in the box office um I, I really really am because the first two films weren't great um but it is it has been its opening week weekend so um i can see why it would come there i don't think it's going to stick around um but you know the difference in quality between once upon a time in hollywood and angel has fallen is vast um but good films don't always do well at the box office for example shawshank redemption is the 
best example of that. That absolutely bombed at the box office and is now considered one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, should we uh, kick off with today's show with our first review? Well, yeah, but I need to do the box office rundown first. Oh, I always forget about that. Go yeah. on, start from 10, work your way down to 1. So, in at number 10, we have Casino Royale, 9, Good Boys, 8, Toy Story 4, 7, Cruel, 6. Did I say Cruel? I think so. Not Cruel. <laughs> as in, like, cruel, as in being cruel to someone. Anyway, never mind. 7, Cruel, 6. I said it again. <laughs> or am I just getting, I'm having a breakdown. Six, Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Five, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Four, Fast and Furious Presents Hobson Shaw. Three, The Lion King. Two, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And one, Angel Has Fallen. I think I need to take some sort of medicament. So, our first review on week 34 is Angel Has Fallen, and Gerard Butler reprises his role as Secret Service operative to the president. And in this story, it sees Mike Banning uh, falling. Uh, <laughs> he's been made to look like he's the one that has attempted to take the president's life, and it's up to Mike and Mike alone to prove his innocence. Let's take a little listen to a clip. I think that uh, clip. I didn't go down there and pull that wire. Uh, Nick Nolte, who plays Mike Banning's dad in this film, I think he's ludicrous in this oh, film. And I mean, that clip is just—it it is literally the film. It's just explosions after explosions. But actually, that's one of the best bits of the film. It's very funny. Yeah, I mean, Nick Nolte—he, I don't think he's actually spoken many words in this film that you could actually comprehend. No, the the Academy Award for least audible man yeah. will go to Nick Nolte. Here. I'm not until you run down there some bullet wire. I'm, I'm your dad. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to run away, but I'm, I'm sorry that I left you a abandoned you for 45 years and now I've just turned up and blown everything up you know it's just ridiculous <sighs> anyway so, we've got that our system <laughs> yeah but what did you think of the film well I just wanted to say first of all that this is obviously the third film in, mm. the, in the fallen uh, list of films that there were so the first one was Olympus Has Fallen which came out at the same time more or less as White House Down which yeah. starred Ryan Reynolds and I thought the better one of the two of those films was White, White House Down. Down. It yeah. was much funnier. It was did better at the box office as well. Um, and, and yeah, I think then the second film came out, London Has Fallen, which was just ridiculous and actually was a complete disappointment. Mm, really was a sh- an absolutely shocking film, and I will touch upon that in a minute. Yeah, so that, that, now we're on to the third incarnation with, with Angel Has Fallen. And um, I have to say that mm. this was probably the better... Yep. 
of the two films by far it had it didn't take itself too seriously it had everything you could possibly want mm. in a film where somebody is being set up yep. and somebody needs to prove their innocence and there was a lot of action there was a lot of humor actually in this mm, film which was. which lacked in uh, uh white uh, sorry not white house down but olympus, olympus has, has fallen, fallen yeah. and in london has fallen it lacked that comedy and this was definitely brought forward by nick nolte mm. and and uh mike banning uh sort of coming together so that's jared butler and and mike banning playing off each other and and as you heard from that clip it's really quite ludicrous yeah it is um i mean the first thing to say about this film is i'm going to start with the bad points i mean it pushes believability to the end of space and time i mean <laughs> the, the plot is implausible but at this at the same time it's quite a simple plot it's a very simple plot there's an assassination attempt made on the set on the president uh, and gerald butler's character is accused of doing this and has to prove his innocence but in terms of subject matter it is total and utter tosh however if you accept that it is tosh and and don't take it too seriously it's actually of all the three films it's probably by far the best one i mean the critics don't like it the rotten tomato sc- scores really do say oh the critics give it 40 percent, whereas the audience give it a 94 percent rating which is incredibly incredibly high i think it's the highest of all the films that we'll be reviewing this week and actually 94 percent is ridiculously high i mean there are oscar-winning films that have lower audience scores than that um what makes this film good is that there's n- I don't, I'm not going to say there's no awful CGI because there is a couple of bits of terrible CGI. Oh, yeah. Particularly one bit where a hospital seems to just collapse into a pile of dust almost instantly. But in, in Olympus Has Fallen and in particularly in London Has Fallen, the CGI was absolutely terrible. It is some of the worst CGI I've ever seen in my life. You know, like when Big Ben is blowing up, it's it's like a, a CGI Big Ben and then the most terrible fire coming off of it. I mean the state of Big Ben in London at the moment, they'd have been better off just filming that because it's just covered in scaffolding at the moment. That would have looked more effective than the useless CGI they used before. Um, And they've kept away from that terrible CGIing uh, and they've focused a lot more on on the characters here and that's good. There's a lot more close range shooting and hand-to-hand combat um, and it has a more personal and up-close feel and actually the drone strike, so the assassination attempt on the president is made by what is probably, would you say a couple of hundred drones in formation so they almost look like birds or bats or some sort of flying large flying insects, I don't know Um, (laughs) but they're in a a swarm a flock, so you think, is that insect is it birds what is it but it's drones um that's quite effective and then when the explosions come they're very clearly set pieces you know they're bang fire up bang fire up but it it works there's no cgi it's real um it's real life explosions uh the pace of the film is quite good i was never bored and actually what this film has that the other films didn't have is it has an okay script the script isn't terrible whereas in london has fallen and olympus has fallen the scripts are 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 pretty poor and and also it has some really good moments of comedy so um gerard butler's dad uh played by nick nolte is really good in this and although that clip we played you is ludicrous and it's just explosion after explosion after explosion it's actually very very funny and because it doesn't take itself so seriously like london has fallen which was really melodramatic and self-indulgent this film 
actually works. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I do have to say, though, it, its predictability from the very beginning of this film was so evident in, in terms of yeah. what was going to happen. You knew who the bad guy was going to be, even though mm. they're trying to deceive you. Yeah. You know that another bad guy, um, I'm not going to give it too much away, but there's another bad guy somewhere placed in high up in a high up hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, is You can sort of tell he's going to be the bad, a bad guy in the film. Um, just by a look that he gives it, it in the felt opening a bit scene like Scooby Doo, didn't it? Yes. When oh look, here's the janitor. Oh no, wait, look, we've removed the mask. It's not the janitor. It's it's the cleaner dressed as the janitor. Oh wait, it's not the cleaner. It's actually the gardener. <laughs> you know, it was that kind of. Do you remember when Scooby Doo yeah. did that? Yeah. It was oh look, it's the janitor. No, they remove it. It's the cleaner dressed as the janitor. <laughs> no, it's not the cleaner. It's the gardener. It was just. It was like that, and you knew they tried to. It was. It was bad. Mm. You know, you knew where the bad guy was, but. Yeah. Nonetheless, it's forgivable. It is very much so forgivable. Um, I think that uh, Danny H- uh, Houston, who plays Wade Jennings, was actually relatively okay as well. Mm. Um, he generally plays a lot of bad guys. Uh, he was in one of the X-Men films as uh, one of the bad guys in there. He looks like a bad guy, He does he? look like a bad guy. And I think he may be slightly typecast into that mm. role. But nonetheless, he played it very well. And Can't imagine him in a rom-com, can you? <laughs> no, I'm sure he's done a rom-com at some we'll point. we have to look that up. Yeah, we will. Um, but no, I actually really enjoyed the film it was solid in terms of pace as you said mm. it was entertaining it's again another real popcorn film um, and we came out pleasantly surprised mm. after seeing this film definitely um, and and as you said it's it's the close development of the characters in terms of Jared Butler actually playing somebody who you actually were rooting for yeah um, whilst in the other films you kind of weren't rooting for him that much because you kind of just felt that it was not Believable. You were distracted by the terrible CGI madness yeah. that was going on behind him. Exactly. Another thing to say is Morgan Freeman's in this. Firstly, he's starting to look old, isn't he? He is. Um, he didn't actually start acting until he was very, very um, old anyway. In, in, I think he was at least 50 before he started his acting career. He must be in his late 70s, early 80s now. I'm just going to throw that out there. Without looking it up, I don't know. But he's starting to look old. But what Morgan Freeman does is he brings the film back to earth. So after you've had, you know, crazy explosions and lots of action, you have Morgan Freeman with his voice just pulling it back to earth and, and, and grounding you. And actually, he gets a script that is... It's not worthy of Morgan Freeman because he's one of the greatest actors ever, but he brings an element of class to a film that lacks class. Um, and, And overall, I hate to say this, but I really quite enjoyed this film. And I, and, and, and I, and it pains me to say it. And, but I totally agree with Rotten Tomatoes. In terms of the quality of the film, it is a 40, 50%. You know, critics aren't going to like it. But in terms of an audience score, yeah, why not give it 90%? Because it was entertaining and you go to the cinema to be entertained. So in that, in that respect then, are you actually surprised that it's number one in the box office? Um, I'm surprised it's number one in the box office in the sense that the first two films were so bad that people have gone back to see a third one. I'm not surprised that it's doing well at the box office because it's actually not a bad film. I'm just surprised that so many people have gone in the first place, if that mm. makes sense. It is a relatively slow week in terms of films that are out. Mm. I mean, from what we are reviewing on this week, there isn't a standout film. No. Uh, people have probably... Well, apart, apart from Once Upon a Time, well, which one... is, you would expect to be right up there in, in, in award season. I think everybody who's gone to see that that are going to enjoy it have, have been. already been yeah. to see it and they would generally will go and see that on its release day or a couple of days yeah. afterwards. 
and which now was about two weeks ago now yeah exactly so it's now sunk down to the number two spot which actually in in that respect then is actually quite good um people are still going to see it but whether or not they're enjoying it is another question because yeah. they really do need to understand the premise of what this that film is about this one is easy to understand yes. there's not much premise to go on really the plot is very simplistic it's action-packed and it and, and it is fun to go and watch so in that respect then i've said respect too many times but in that respect david angel has fallen is it worth it yes uh for all the reasons outlined um below above to the side to the left to the right um in the last five or so minutes yes uh, unfortunately i you know i wanted to roast this film i wanted to spit roast it over a fire and eat it for lunch but unfortunately um it will be a, a salad instead this was actually a very good film so is it worth going to cinema? Oh, yes. Sorry, I thought my analogy <laughs> proved that it was. Yes, it is, it is worth seeing in the cinema. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's the sort of thing that will 100% go on Netflix because the other two have been on Netflix. But with all the explosions, you know, it's worth it's worth seeing on the big screen. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The explosions make for a cinematic experience. Yeah. You get that surround that sound. many, the cinema shakes. I mean, as with that clip that we yeah. re-showed, that is a lot of explosions. It's probably not even the most amount of explosions no. that happen. There is a bigger one one that happens later on in the film <laughs> so yeah go and see it it yeah. is actually fun and you will enjoy it so that is our review of angel has fallen So our second review on week 34 is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. So this sees Andre Oberdell, director of the rather fun Troll Hunter, bring to life the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark book series published in the 1980s, which was actually written by Alvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stephen Gamow. And in this incarnation, a group of teens find themselves haunted by a book that just keeps seems to writing itself. Uh, this book seems to read those around it and tell the stories, including the group of youths and these anthology stories come to life featuring a creature that threaten each of the teens lives let's take a listen to a clip this town made me a monster now that's what i'll give them sarah bellows's book when the stories all come alive what happens in the book happens for real sarah bellows is a myth i'm afraid i'm gonna die you don't read the book. The book reads you. Probably one of the only clips that I could actually find that actually had any depth to it. Um, so this film has some big names attached to it. One being uh, Gomero del Toro. Now he is obviously a big name in the horror slash thriller sort of genre of films and I think that is what is one of the biggest draws to this film. You know, you hear that name and you think this is going to be a really, really good film. Um, and it clearly has been made with some real love and attention to the, to the film. People clearly love this sort of genre have made something that really has a lot of depth in terms of the the scene, the scene that they're set in, in 1969, just before uh, or during the uh, Vietnam War. Um, and there is some real depth in there in regards to that. 68, sorry, 68. 68, okay. Um, but the film falls very short in terms of its age rating. So this is mm. a 15 and because it's a 15 it's been toned down a little bit for that 15 age rating and there are young there's a younger audience that actually probably would have enjoyed this a lot more than the adult audience now you saw this at quite a late screening so there was a lot more 
older people in that screening who are looking for a horror film. People are people probably in their in most if not all of the people were in their mid to late twenties. And you would you you would assume that that older audience are really looking for something to scare them. However, the film doesn't really do that. And in fact, it's quite laughable because mm. what they've done, they've stuck very close to the, the illustrations that were drawn in the original book. And they are quite comical in, in a lot of senses. Now, they did do a lot of things like desaturate the costumes to make it very black and white like the illustrations. But it didn't work. It really was the downfall of, of the film. And some of the characters that they, or the monsters that they created were really quite laughable. Yep. Um, and and therefore didn't really give you the scare that a lot of the older audience were looking for. So it's not finding that younger audience. It's not finding its older audience. Who it, Who is going to see this film? And I think a lot of people are walking out very disappointed. Um, and it's just very, very unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I saw this last night. Uh, Ten forty was this was the screening time. Started about eleven o'clock. It was full of couples, like I said, people in their uh, mid to late twenties. I thought this film was very smelly, uh, quite stinky, pretty rotten, to be honest. Uh, I really didn't enjoy it, and, uh, and I'll tell you why. Like you said, it's got a fifteen rating. I tell you who this is good for: fifteen year olds, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, this is the problem this film has because 16, 17 and 18 year olds are going to say that wasn't scary, that sucked, it, it wasn't very good. Um, people who are 11, 12, 13 and 14 who could probably benefit from this film won't be able to see it in the cinema. So really, uh, 15 year olds will probably like this film. When I was 15, I'd probably have liked this film. But as an adult, it's not scary enough. There was one or two moments in this whole film that scared me and it was again it was that humor of not knowing what was there as soon as we saw what was there as soon as these creatures came to life i wanted to laugh they were they were laughable one of them looked like mr blobby now i'm not even lying there was a moment in the film where one of the protagonists one of the characters is being chased and he ends up in a building and he turns down the right-hand corridor, and at the end of that corridor is Mr. Blobby. And then he turns around, and he goes down the left-hand corridor, and at the end of that corridor is Mr. Blobby. And then he turns around, and guess who's behind him? Mr. Blobby, who then comes... This is, this is genuinely true, who comes up to him and hugs him and just consumes him into his blobbiness. No, was, no, no Edmonds wasn't around, was he? No, Noel Edmonds was not around. He's, uh, he's still pleading with Channel 4 to let him do Deal or No Deal again <laughs> because his career has gone to shit. Excuse my language, we could probably beat that out. Um, but no, the the creatures, when they do come to life, are laughable. Then there's another one that walks like a crab um, and it it's some sort of strange... You, you were telling me it wasn't even CGI. They no. actually got someone off of America's Got Talent. Yeah, so all of the actual uh, creatures were played by genuine actors who all have some kind of disease that... that make them have this appearance that goes very well with the creature that goes with them. And they've all played characters before, most of them in like Pan's Labyrinth or um, uh, Stranger Things and uh, various other, um, cr- you know, weird creatures. Slenderman, the guy who yeah. plays Slenderman is in this film as the really tall woman with yeah. missing a toe yeah. who's looking for her toe. Again, a very strange concept Where's there. Where's my toe? Exactly. Um, so again, it's not scary. I mean, mm. a woman looking for her toe who looks rather well dead um <laughs> well very dead isn't isn't quite scary enough you would think though that i mean her, all of her body is rotting her flesh is falling off of her bones she looks absolutely terrible she needs a manicure you know she needs a massage and makeup all she's interested about is her toe 
she's probably got bigger fish to fry, like the fact she's dead for one. <laughs> Why isn't she saying, Why am I dead? Why is she so obsessed with the fact that she's lost her toe? Of all the things to lose, a toe is not the end of the world. Well, maybe if she finds the toe, she'll be brought back to life. Maybe that was what her I feelings. don't know. Who knows? Anyway, the, the point is, this film is the pace is slow. The. It's not scary, but it does have a few redeeming features. Like Craig said, it's set in 1968, and they do capture the era very, very well. Um, the script is not bad. Um, the actors have been given some some meat on the bone to work with, but the the, the real saving and redeeming fe- feature of the whole film is the acting. Um, I can't fault a single actor or actress in this film. I thought they all gave very, very good performances with the material they'd been given. The problem was, is they were acting scared and they were acting really, really well. The problem was what we were seeing wasn't that scary. Um, and if you've got a film called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark that isn't scary, you're, you're doomed to fail. Yeah, because they're selling it as a film yeah. that is going to be scary and people who go to see it want to be scared and it really falls massively short from that. I mean, I think we're both singing off the same hymn sheet here. Looking at Rotten Tomatoes, it gets 79% Uh, approval rating from the critics and 72% from the audience. I'm just wondering if that 72% is people who are sort of 15 to 18, that age range. But even 16, 17, 18-year-olds, I don't think they would find this scary. And there are many 15-year-olds who'd probably come out and say that's rubbish. Mm. I think people who have read the anthology book have probably gone to see this as well and maybe enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I think people who are fans of Del Toro have gone to see it and have seen... Some nice homage being paid to Del Toro there. I mean, the book that writes itself is a direct piece from Pan's Labyrinth, where the book writes itself as well. Um, I mean, there's, I suppose, little things like that add up to being something that's mm. quite nice. But again, you, you're going into a film wanting something to happen that you don't get, and that's being scared. And I think a lot of horror films these days really fall short, especially the Hollywood ones that play in cinemas like Cineworld. I mean, the, the lower-budget um, scary films that are almost straight to DVD end up being a lot scarier yeah. and horrific and are obviously 18-rated or you know R-rated in America do a lot better in terms of cult classic, mm. being cult, cult classics. This is very um, mainstream. It is. It doesn't build the tension up enough in the film. Um, it, was, it was pretty stinky. It was. I think we can ask questions now. Mm. Craig, scary stories to turn the dark. Is it worth it? Uh, I do not believe this is worth seeing in the cinema. They have very evidently cl- um, set this film to be a sequel at some point. Um, mm. It's so evident because it's basically said at the end of the film that there's going to be a sequel by a couple of lines that one of the characters says um and uh i don't know if i'd go and see that uh david is it worth it for you absolutely not um not only is it not worth seeing in the cinema i don't think it's worth buying on dvd or watching on amazon or netflix it's it's called scary stories to tell in the dark and it just isn't scary and that was our review of scary stories to see in the dark no to tell in the dark don't see it in the dark because it doesn't work <laughs> well if it was dark you'd just be looking at a black screen <laughs> that wouldn't be scary at all would it Craig <laughs> not at all <laughs> you're listening to is it worth it film review podcast 
If you're listening to this podcast, you probably love movies and you're wondering what's worth seeing. Well, what if I told you, you could see everything? Watch all the films you want at any Cineworld for just $18.40 a month. Being an unlimited cardholder gives you access to all of the 2D films you can handle. Watch what you want, when you want, as many times as you want. Plus, save money when watching films in 3D, Super Screen, IMAX, 4DX, ScreenX and Special Event Cinema. Be the first to see a movie with Cineworld's special Unlimited Advanced Screenings. Unlimited customers are some of the first to see a movie, days, weeks and sometimes even months before it's released to the general public. Save on snacks and drinks. Get 10% off all in-cinema food and drink. Plus get 10% off at Cineworld Starbucks. And if that's not enough, unlimited customers can enjoy 25% off food and drink at Yo Sushi, Cafe Rouge, Bella Italia, Las Iguanas, La Tasca and Belpo. Let's sweeten the deal even more. Listeners of the podcast can get £10 off your first month's payment. Use the code ISITWORTHIT, all one word, with movies like It, Chapter 2, Downton Abbey, Ad Astra, Rambo Last Blood, The Goldfinch, and many, many more. Now is a great time to join Cineworld Unlimited. So it's now time for our third review on this week's episode, and it sees the on-screen adaptation of a very long-running Nickelodeon TV series where a young girl named Dora goes on an adventure uh, with a talking map and a sentient backpack that also seems to talk. In the cartoon, Dora would talk to the audience and engage with them. And in this, in this real-life movie, it sees an older Dora being sent to the city from the jungle where it would be safer for her. Her parents want her to meet new people and be with her cousin. However, things don't quite go to plan when Dora and her friends are kidnapped and tasked with finding the lost city of gold. Let's take a listen to a clip from Dora and the lost city of gold. Honey, here's your satellite phone. Call us anytime and you can track our coordinates on your map. But it's not the same. I'm an explorer like you. Oh, honey, you have the whole world to explore. Go see it. Make friends. That's real exploring. But I don't know how. Yes, you do. Just be yourself, Dora. Okay? Oh, come on. You're gonna miss your flight. It's a kiddo. Dora? No monkeys in the city. She knows, buddy. So I went into this film uh, with very, very low expectations. Um, and I hadn't grown up with the TV series. I didn't really know much about Dora the Explorer. Um, however, my preconceptions of this film were instantly turned around after the first couple of minutes, really, where the film opens with Dora and her young cousin driving around in a miniature Jeep with a talking backpack and a talking <laughs> map and a monkey uh, and a sly fox. And uh, instantly it's showing us what the uh, potential adaptation of this film could have been. However, it then pulls out and shows this is just these kids, uh, you know, drawing upon their imaginations. And I thought that was a really well played set piece. Um, 
The film is directed by James Bobbin, who actually reinvigorated the brilliant Muppet film in 2011. And you can really see that he's drawing upon a lot of those elements from the Muppet films in terms of the comedy that comes in this film. Um, It it is uh, a different kind of film as it moves forward 10 years uh, from what happened uh, in the beginning of the, of the film. And it uh, stars Isabella Mona, who starred very recently in the Instant Family movie that we mm. thought was really quite good, actually. Yeah. Um, and it, it draws upon a lot of elements kind of in that sense. Uh, you wanted to talk about um, things about family and aspects like that. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot of so for, a ch- for what is fundamentally a children's film, there's lots and lots of uh, things for adults in here. There's a real theme of coming of age, and we see that when um, Dora, we see her like you said when she's young at the start of the film, and then we see it ten years later as she's got older. Uh, there's themes of love and friendship. There's themes of family there's also a real theme of morality that runs throughout the whole film and what are your morals and why do you want to find the lost city of gold is it because you're an explorer or is it because you're a treasure hunter and there is a major difference between being an explorer who's who's exploring something for the love of of, and the thrill of exploring as opposed to someone who just wants to get rich there's also themes about morality and sacrifice and i'm really pleased you mentioned isabella mona i think she gives an annoyingly lovable performance um, she's fresh, uh, funny. It's a very layered performance, a very talented performance, and I think she's a future A-lister. Like you said, in Instant Family, I thought she was very, very good, and she's brilliant in this film. She's got all the qualities that a young actress should have, and if she gets the right kind of films, I... Well, I'm not even in doubt. I guarantee you she will be a future Oscar. Maybe not winner. Um, I wouldn't say that straight away but she'll certainly be oscar nominated she's certainly going to be the kind of actress who's going to be involved in award seasons for many many years to come i went into this expecting it to be absolutely terrible but it isn't it's just fundamentally a very good film it has very much the the feel of the recent jumanji film jumanji welcome to the jungle it feels like that the pace is very very good um it's got likable characters and very good bad guys um there's lots in it for adults as well as children and the good thing about the aspects that are there for children it has lots of childish humor that feels fresh even though it isn't so the jokes that they're telling and the way they're being told is nothing new and it shouldn't be funny but it is and when i was in this um screening again on my own there were lots of families in there lots of young children who were really really laughing laughing like quite loudly um and that just made me smile and and get into the film more um I was really pleasantly surprised by this film um, in terms of the way it was shot, the script, the pace, the cinematography. For a, for a children's film, this is really, really very, very good. It is. Um, as you were saying about the jokes as well, there's a lot of poo humour in this film. Yes, toilet humour, yeah. And it shouldn't work. No, it shouldn't. But it really does. It, it does, yeah. It, 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 it was very yeah. funny. Yeah, there is a lot of toilet humour and it is that childish toilet humour that you think, oh, come on, we've seen this, we've heard this time and time again, boring. And actually, I can't remember what film it was, but recently we saw a film, a comedy that had toilet humour. It might have been Holmes and Watson and it was dire. 
Holmes and Watson was dire in, in general. Oh, yeah. But this particular toilet humour was just not funny, whereas they made it work in this film, probably because it was a children's film, whereas Holmes and Watson, well, I don't even think that could be classified as a film. It was an absolute disaster. But like, yeah, like I said, nothing new here, but it just works. And Isabella Mona, I'm really impressed with her. I thought she was brilliant. And, you know, the fact we like it is reflected solidly in the Rotten Tomato scores. And when the critics and the audience scores are close together, you know you've got a solid film. The critics give it 83%. gets an 88% rating from the audience. And, yeah, very, very solid scores. So you've got critically a well-received film and an audience... Um, uh, a film that the audience have also enjoyed. Yeah. I mean, I, I really thought when I came out of this movie and I said to you, this is a masterpiece. This is a yeah. work of genius. And you know what? I'm going to stick with the fact that I think it's a work of genius. I mean, there's this whole scene in there mm. where... I know what you're going to say. Yeah. They, get, uh, they breathe in some kind of uh, toxic fumes from mm. a plant that yeah. gives them hallucinations. Uh, they basically get high yeah. and uh, end up turning into the cartoon version of Dora the Explorer. And I thought that was absolute genius. It really, really, really was. And it was hilarious. It was funny for the adults that are watching it. It was mm. funny for the kids that were watching it. It also allows a new generation of children to get to know Dora the Explorer who didn't get to know Dora the Explorer. Mm. It brings the... Um, kids who have grown up with Dora the Explorer to have a look back at what they used to watch and then fall in love with a new version of Dora the Explorer. I, I, I really strongly believe that there's going to be another film. I think there's going to be yes. more adventures. I believe you're right. Um, I really like the fact that this is an adventure film with... You know, it draws a lot upon Indiana Jones in terms mm. of like solving these ancient puzzles. Uh, and, you know, it, it pokes fun at itself. It yeah. knows exactly what it is. It knows exactly what it's doing. And that makes for a, a really entertaining watch. Um, so for me, I really, really love this film. Yeah, me also. Craig, shall I ask you the question? Yeah, go for it. Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Is it worth it? Yes, this is 100% worth seeing in the cinema for the love of seeing this reincarnated version of Dora that you may not know um, going to see it you will fall in love with that character and mm. I think all of the characters within the film are really likeable and really lovable and really relatable in some respects as well yeah. David what about yourself? Yes not only is this film 100% worth seeing in the cinema I want to go out of my way now to recommend that you go and see it whether you're an adult or whether you're a younger listener or whether you want to take your children there's loads of brilliant themes in here of love and friendship family morality sacrifice it's got a good pace it's got good characters Isabella Mona gives a brilliant performance and there's loads in it for adults and children it's well received by the critics and the audience alike Dora and the Lost City of Gold 100% worth it go and see it in the biggest screen possible So it's now time for our fourth movie review of this week's episode, and it is Crawl. It sees Haley played by Kea Scodelario, a competitive swimmer attempting to save her father. During a Category 5 hurricane, they become trapped in the crawl space of a flooded house and then hunted by a pair of six-meter alligators. I think we should listen to a clip.
So, I'm going to start this review with a little bit of a moan. Uh, Overall, my actual review of this film won't be too bad, but I'm going to start with the bad points, and the bad points are the alligators. Let's start with the the main uh, thing that this film is about, and that is the alligators. They're just a little bit too over the top, Um, and, and I'll tell you why. They create these alligators out to be like these sort of almost like dinosaur like hunters um, that are a real threat to humans. And actually, human attacks or when alligators attack humans, it's usually by um, mistake. Alligators are quite patient hunters. What they tend to do is just wait very, very still and wait for um, their 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 prey to come to them. And then they'll strike uh, very, very suddenly. Um Believe it or not, prey that fights back is usually abandoned by alligators. And also, one other thing that I found out in my research about alligators is that snapping jaws and growling is, in fact, a defensive posture. And they use that in this film quite a lot as, you know, crack, crack, as if here's an alligator that's about to come on the attack. And you can hear that from the clip Uh, as well. Yeah, and you hear that from the clip. Um, So... I just think the alligators are a little bit too over the top. And actually, with a with a Category 5 hurricane, you probably don't need as many alligators as there are in this film to build the tension. Um, on average, there are four gator attacks in the US every year. Uh, since 1948, the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission has received 356 reports of alligator attacks. So it works out at an average of four a year. And there's at least seven or eight alligator attacks in this one, you know, several hours... Uh, alone so it just to me makes it all a little bit too over the top a little bit unbelievable however that said i thought this was fundamentally a very very good film one of the things that makes this film good is the pace the pace of the film is superb it really builds tension it actually starts building the tension with the opening scene what they do in the opening scene is they show our protagonist taking part in a swimming competition and they show her getting ready on the diving board then diving in and the camera follows her and there's some really good camera work of the swimming and that builds the tension because we know the film's going to be about alligators immediately seeing that open water even though it's in a secure and safe swimming pool starts to build that tension it's got a very good soundtrack as well quite an eerie soundtrack the acting is very very good um it's very it's very nicely shot and also the graphic nature of the alligator attacks um helps build tension and fear so we know once we see these alligators and once they've attacked the the, the first human which doesn't come for about maybe 40, 50 minutes, which builds the tension further. We know when these gators attacked, even though it's a little bit unrealistic, we know that they mean business. And what really holds this film together is the fact that the two main characters, this daughter and father, we really care for them. We want them to get out of the situation they're trapped in. And that's why the the pace builds up. And overall, uh, it makes for a very satisfying film, even if the premise is a little bit ridiculous. Mm. Well, this, the film is directed by Alexandra Ajar, who was responsible for The Hills Have Eyes uh, in 2006 and then Piranha 3D oh, goodness. in 2010. But there was, Wasn't that 3DD? Uh, possibly. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, but then uh, we had The Horns with Daniel Radcliffe, which is actually a really, really good film. Um, the film was also produced by Sam Rainey's production house, Ghost House Pictures, uh, and it was made on a relatively small budget. Uh, it cost somewhere in the region of 13 to 14 million pounds and then it's made somewhere in the region of 64 million pounds um which is 
really quite good, which actually, you know, you might expect there to be a sequel from that because it's made such a significant sum of money. Mm. I thought this film was a really solid movie. It had really likable characters, um, some really decent acting in it. Um, It had some decent jump scares in there as well. Things that weren't put in there to possibly make you jump quite significantly. It was there as a a way of building tension. Mm. And it's the sort of jump scares that you want to see in the horror films that that they just keep sending out there into in the films constantly over and over again this it was maybe once or twice that you got that and i thought that was really well done um it is ridiculous you know it's set in the basement of a house that's flooding during a category five hurricane there are alligators on (laughs) on the run uh on the run alligators (laughs) what are they running from yeah uh yeah i mean it's it's quite ridiculous um but it is truly a popcorn film um it's not quite as crazy as the meg um it's not quite as beautiful as jaws but it's somewhere in between those Mm. sort of two films yeah that's really well put actually i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it i didn't think i was going to enjoy it i did see this as a unlimited screening mm. um there were people walking out and i was very surprised that how, people how, were how long out. into the film um people were walking out at the very beginning people were shame. walking out in the middle and people were walking out quite near the end as well um and i was really quite surprised by that because during the course of the entire film i was enjoying myself it was as you said really well paced and you know the actors were very believable in terms of their relationship, um, in terms of uh, their how scared they were as well. I thought they did a really good job. I thought it was quite bizarre that they're, they're in the crawl space of the basement. So that means that, you know, they can't stand up properly. Yet, as the waters rise, mm. they're able to somewhat stand up in this crawl space. So I found that a bit weird. Yeah. There was a very good dog in the film as well. The dog was wonderful. The dog was truly wonderful. And you it built tension again yeah. because you loved that dog yeah. so Absolute much spot on. that you didn't want to see that dog die. And there were moments in the film where you were like, oh my God, is the dog okay? You really felt for the dog, which yeah. is quite surprising. But actually, really, really good. Uh, yeah, so a very solid movie. Yeah, and, and, and the uh, Rotten Tomatoes score certainly um, um, reflect that you know the critics give it an 82% scoring and the audience give it a 75% score like I said if you can accept it for what it is so if you can accept that these alligators are and and what they do do well is they don't have like some sort of gator scientist you know in other other films they often have like a a scientist that will come in and go the alligator is the most dangerous land predator on earth well yeah in the neck they have that in Jaws they have that they don't have that character they just say here's some alligators take it or leave it and and you sort of you realize that this is not how alligators hunt this is not what alligators are actually like but we're just going to accept for some reason in this hurricane these alligators have gone completely chicken oriental and they are <laughs> very very hungry and they're devouring anything and anything anything and everything that moves but the critics and the audience give it a fairly solid score um and i'm i'm a sh- i'm disappointed that people walked out because when I saw the trailer for it I thought it looked terrible I really wanted to roast this film I wanted to say it was tosh I wanted to say it was nonsense I wanted to say that I didn't like the characters I wanted to say that it wasn't engaging but it was the pace was good and if you take it for what it is it's it's actually a pretty good film yeah so shall we ask questions then yes craig cruel is it worth it yes it's definitely worth seeing in in the cinema it's one of those films that's currently out in between some big films that are coming out. So you've got um, It Chapter 2 coming out relatively soon. So if you're looking to see something in the cinema before that big Hollywood blockbuster comes out, 
I would recommend going to see this or maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood if you haven't seen that yet. I think they're the two films that are really going to be sort of drawing us in until the big Hollywood blockbusters mm. come out. Um, so yeah, I thought it was worth it. You? I'm going to say it's not worth seeing in the cinema. Ooh. Um, I think it's a, a film worth seeing, but I don't actually think it needs to be seen on a big screen. I think it's the kind of film that will 100% come onto Netflix or, or Amazon or one of those streaming services. And I just think, actually, because the pace is so good, I don't think you're going to get distracted and walk away from the film. So I think it's the kind of film that you could wa- watch at home. So I would say, yes, it is worth it, but it was probably worth waiting until it comes out on streaming services. So that's our review of Cruel. So our final review of this week's episode is Good Boys, and this sees three sixth grade boys, Max, Lucas and Four, embark on a journey of discovery after they're invited to a kissing party. Now the lads want to know how to kiss, but along the way they break a drone, steal some drugs unknowingly, they're hunted by teenage girls, and they try to make it home all before they're discovered, so they can get to this party and Max can finally kiss the love of his life. Let's take a little listen to a clip. We're sorry, we just want to learn how to kiss. Lucas, it's none of their business. We should have just told the truth. We're going to a kissing party and none of us have ever kissed and we're scared. God damn it, Lucas. I've had sex before, but I've never kissed a girl. Look, can we please have the drone back? If you don't give it back, I'll tell my dad you stole it. And I'll tell him that you're a pervert. We'll tell the whole school. This is sensual harassment. We'll tell everyone that you're a misogynist. I've never massaged anyone. This is what happens when you don't respect women. I respect women. My mom's my best friend. What about me? So this film is produced by Seth Rogen and co. And it sees the young boys uh, sort of play the same similar roles to Superbad, but they're younger. I mean, Mm. during the course of the film, they are referred to as like the Stranger Stranger Things boys, um, which is you know they are of similar similar age um you have jacob tremblay keith l williams and brady noon who are three breakout actors i think um who play the young boys within the film uh, i felt like um keith williams was the standout performance yep. within those three boys um unfortunately the other boys it didn't feel like they were playing the roles like naturally, it didn't feel like it was coming naturally to them. I felt like uh, Keith had the best comedy timing, um, and he seemed to have the best lines as well. And and he was genuinely very very funny. Um, the problem with this film, to me, is that there seems to be just two running gags that play out throughout the whole course of the film. And the first one of those is that they are naive children, and that everything that they see in the film that is something that an adult would understand they don't seem to understand at all so there's a lot of paraphernalia in the film that maybe uh, someone who's over the age of 18 would know exactly (laughs) what it is but these guys always mistake it for something else i mean there's a um a a doll that they believe is a cpr doll which clearly isn't uh and various other (sighs) things um and that's that's one gag that runs throughout the entire film the other one is that they are young and they are there's this threat to their life that everything seems to be take blown out of proportions yep. in their eyes all the all the time so i mean there are some bits that are quite threatening to themselves like when they're crossing a, a road on the motorway of some sort 
that is quite a large threat to them. But there is everything else that's happening, like trying to get to this kissing party that is just exaggerated. And that, like it's the end of the world. Like it's the end of the world, yeah. exactly. And that's somewhat reflected in, in the music that happens within the film. It very dramatic. Very dramatic, heightened thing. And that, that happens throughout the course of the entire film. So in that respect, it's very easy to review because there is just those two running gags that yeah. happen throughout the entire course of the film. Um, yeah, I mean, it was funny. Mm. It was funny, um, but it just didn't do it for me, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, what I've got is is very similar to Craig. I mean, I, I, some humour doesn't land. Um, like Craig said, there's a lot of gags that they, they, the first time it lands, but then the second and the third time you're getting a bit fed up with it. But enough humour does land. And what this film does well is it has likeable characters. And also, although it's a comedy, it has a lot of substance, um, which is maybe its best asset, actually. Seeing these characters come of age, seeing their friendship develop um, without likeable characters, a film like this wouldn't work but it has likeable characters and because the characters are likeable it means that what what is funny does work and the bits that aren't funny you do forgive keith l williams um this young black actor he is superb he is genius he's the one with the quite the high-pitched voice in the clip that we that we heard where he talks about his mum's his best friend throughout the whole film his deliverance of the lines is absolutely on point he is a future comedy star i think i thought he was brilliant it gets a a solid 79% from the critics, 87% from the audience. Craig drew a comparison to Superbad. It's not as good as Superbad, nowhere near as good, but actually I think a second film could be. I think that this has introduced us to three characters that in four or five years' time, when they've all hit puberty and they're much, much older, there could genuinely be... uh, um, a really good film here, a really good set. Bad Boys 2, I think would be, I'd love to see Keith L. Williams back on the big screen. There was one bit you spoke about, uh, the traffic scene. I thought that was really bad. Um, there's a scene where these three lads are trying to cross what would be called a highway in, in the States, like a motorway here in the UK. And it's just in bad taste because they're, it's, it's just not funny. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny or if it's supposed to build tension, but it does neither. I, I, I almost didn't want to watch. Um, I was actually hit by a car when I was a child. I didn't know if you knew that. Um, oh, blimey. We, you learn something new every day. So I don't know whether it touched... Um, a little bit too close for home for me, but I don't find children crossing a motorway funny. I don't find the concept of children crossing a motorway funny. One, because they could be killed. Two, the, the poor person that hits them will end up having to live with that for the rest of their life. So that one scene I thought was really, really bad and just shouldn't have been in it, and I thought that was in bad taste. But other than that, it's, you know, 60 70% of this film is pretty good, and the 30% that's bad, you forgive it. Yeah. I think it's only saving grace is the bit of substance that runs throughout the film, and that's their friendship. Mm. And like yeah, you said... absolutely. There, I think there could have been a space for a better film after this film ends, you know, yes. after they have like come the of age one. almost, yeah. a second film. But to me, it kind of felt like an introduction to a TV show. Mm. So they, this could have worked much better as a sitcom of these kids growing up in a growing coming of age and and, their, and then leaving school and going off to college, that sort of thing. And I would like to see those sort of characters develop into those older children. I think Jonah Hill did a much better job with mid-90s in terms of of young children um, having to make life choices. Um, you know, it just was so much more real and so much more convincing and it played to the strengths of what this film sort of really barely touched upon. It scratched the surface of what Mid-90s did. And um, yeah, I for me, 
it wasn't quite as enjoyable as it could have been. Yeah. It was funny. I laughed at certain points, but after the fourth or fifth time of the mm. same gag coming over and over again, you got a bit bored. Yeah. Uh, but the humour that misses, like I said, because the characters are likeable, I think we've both said this, without those likeable characters, this film would be a flop. But because you have likeable characters, you're willing to forgive those bits of humour that do eventually wear thin or fall flat. Yeah. So let's ask the question, shall we? Mm-hmm. David... Bad Boys, is it worth it? It's called Good Boys. Is it? Oh, because you said Bad Boys too. <laughs> did I? You did. Oh, well, that's that an... got me stuck in there. Oh. Good Boys, <laughs> is it worth it? Um, I'm going to say no. It's not worth seeing in the cinema. Um, I think it's worth seeing on Netflix or Amazon Prime or, or a streaming service or even buying on DVD. I would recommend buying it on DVD. I think it's a, a film worth seeing. I just don't think it's good enough to merit a trip to the cinema. But Keith L. Williams, remember the name. I think he's going to be a future star. I thought his performance performance was sensational yeah i agree with you there i think this to be honest with you isn't worth seeing in the cinema it would have been better as a streaming film straight to netflix straight to amazon um or possibly as a as a tv series i think it would have worked much better in that in that sort of um medium instead um so that was our review of good boys not bad boys and uh, that's the end of this week's episode Thank you for listening to week 34 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. We'll be back next week with reviews of The Mustang, The Informer, A Million Little Pieces and The Souvenir. And also please do get in contact with us with all of your thoughts on the films that you have seen. You can email the show at mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com or on social media you can comment or message us on Instagram at isitworthitpodcast.com podcast or tweet us at film is worth it or if you're old school like me why not look for us on facebook just search for is it worth it the film review podcast and thank you to the team who have made some great new ads images and social media content and we can't wait for all the other new stuff to happen over the course of the next month and if you have enjoyed the show please do review us and rate us on apple podcast this helps us become more visible and also to gain new listeners so whatever platform you're listening to us on please do give us a review. We would love to hear what your thoughts on the show are. Until next week. Goodboo. Goodbye, Tatty Boo. Goodboo. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Have a good one. Bye. Cheerio now.